You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. Come on. Derek is speaking today. Derek's the leader of uh, Ocean City Church, which is a church we're planning out at the beach. We're super excited. They had their first like church service last week. Over 200 people came on Easter morning at sunrise. It was phenomenal on the beach. It was awesome. I'll just say this. You know, we, um, this is our nature that we are going to plant churches because it's the most effective way to build the kingdom of God, to bring the kingdom where there's darkness, to reach out to the lost. Derek and Beth have, uh, came to us five years ago, been a part of our team. It's been so exciting. They uh, have landed in a building. It's an amazing story of how God has provided that. He'll be sharing that tonight. I say all that to say this, you know, as you think about your life, as you think about things to invest in, opportunities for risks. I would say if you have any inkling of wanting to be a part of Ocean City Church, that we want you to go. We want you to go with them and make it happen. The most exciting thing that God has ever called me to was starting a church, planning a church. And if if that's in your heart, again, it needs to be something of the Spirit because it's so hard. But we want you to feel like, man, if God opens that door, I'm ready. I want to go. You know, and you might miss River City, you might not. But the reality is, is you have to go if God's calling you. And we, we keep Derek on the rotation because we feel like it's one of the ways the Spirit will speak to you about what he's calling you to do. And some of us, we're built, we're built and designed to plant churches. And if that is, there's an itch or it's in you that's leading you that way, just know you have the freedom to go for it. We're all big one, you know, we're one big family. And that we're trying to build the kingdom together. And uh, again, it's exciting what's happening at the beach. Go tonight. Check it out. See what God's doing. It's at 5 o'clock, right? Yep. Yeah, and they give, they, they give money away, like 10 bucks to every person who comes every week. I don't know. Uh, maybe why they're growing. <laughs> just Make sure I'm on. Awesome. Well, I, love, I just wanted to say, I mean, just sitting through the testimonies, I love River City Church. I mean, it is just amazing to hear what God is doing. And just to hear just the story that's being told through you guys and to, just the testimony, I think Susan Britt gave it about just seeing the guy on the, the, the floor and that, how that, that did something to her heart. You know, that did something to say, oh my gosh, that's, he's communicating physically what needs to happen in my heart in terms of descending before God. And something happened um, Sunday morning at the Easter sunrise service that I thought was amazing. I, have, I couldn't even see it because the sun was rising behind me and the, all the people were out here like you are. And there, you'll, you'll go, you can see it on the, if you go look at Facebook and you'll see a little picture. There's a, you can hardly tell who it is, but there's this figure kneeling in the, in the, like at the edge of the ocean and worshiping while we're worshiping um, as the sun's coming up. It's just an amazing moment. And she was communicating what everybody else felt as the sun was coming up and we're, we're celebrating the risen Savior. I mean, it's just a phenomenal moment. But then to go back and see that picture, I was like, and yeah, that's what we all wanted to do in the presence of God. Because when we experience God, our natural tendency, our natural inclination when we experience Jesus is to descend. It's to descend. And this morning, I'm talking about uh, this, this kind of contrast between ascending and descending. And kind of the tagline for my talk is, ascending is temporary. And ultimately, you come down. And descending is forever. And it, la- it lasts forever. And it ultimately lifts you up. And we're going to kind of work through some scripture that will represent that this morning. Um, so, if you will, turn in your Bibles, if you've got them. If not, you can look at it on the nifty screen. Which we don't have at OCC, by the way. Not yet. I might steal those. Um, 
in Genesis chapter 11. We're going to teach from the Old Testament some this morning. Um, Genesis chapter 11, just to give you a little background, a little, a little uh, um, set up. 11 chapters, a lot's, a lot's happened. God's created the world. Genesis chapter 1, he created the world. Everything was great. Adam and Eve were running around in the garden, naked as jaybirds, happy. Everything was good. And then they decided to ascend to where God was. They got booted out of the garden. And they put two fire angels at the, the head of the garden, or angels with fiery swords. And God said, you're not getting back in. And things pretty much went downhill from there. Right? And we find ourselves in another story, right before this story, where Noah, everything's descended so far and gotten so bad that God's like, he comes to Noah and says, look, you're an upright dude, I kind of like your family, everything's pretty good with you, but things everywhere else are not doing too hot, so I'm going to flush the toilet on this whole thing and start over. So I'm going to prepare you, and you know, you can, you're going to build this big old boat. I mean, if you've seen Evan Almighty, it's a pretty big boat, right? Um, that's Antley's sermon illustration. Um, great movie, by the way. Um, build this big boat. You're going to jam a bunch of animals on it. Your family's going to get on it and be prepared because it's coming. I'm going to wipe this place out and start things afresh and anew. And he does. And it's amazing. God fulfills his promise through Noah. But look at just two chapters later is where we find ourselves in the Tower of Babel. Um, People are trying to ascend once again. We read, starting in verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found, in the plain of, in, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And one of the things in this passage that I, I was actually reading this passage months and months and months ago. I was going to preach a sermon which would have been total heresy had God not shown up and showed me that it was wrong. But one of the things that I was thinking about um, that I do think in, in my assumption I'm correct about is... Technology, you know, my, my original assumption is always the storybook Bible, the pictures that I have of when I think about, okay, the Tower of Babel, I see kind of a rickety old tower and they're trying to build it to heaven and it's like dusty and everybody's wearing the Jesus robe and got the sandals and there's no grass. It's just like, you know, Middle Eastern and weird. Um, and the, the, uh, the picture though, here, the, the, some of the commentary that I read reminded me of a couple of things. One, that they all spoke one language. They all spoke one language. And that, the free flow of communication um, was, was, would have been evident at this time. And the other thing is, is they lived a long, long, long time. And those two factors alone would have, you know, this is, this is what the, the commentary said, would have, um, can make us assume that this was a pretty technologically advanced society. They had free flow of communication, and people didn't live, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. We say 100 years, you know, 100 years, 115 years, you're on the Today Show. Um, but they lived 500, 600, 900 years long. I mean, you give somebody like Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or somebody that's real smart, that's developed some serious technology, you know, we've given them 50 to 60 years, and they've come up with the iPad. I mean, that's not bad. I mean, it's pretty sweet technology. You give them 500 years, I mean, there'd be some sweet, dope stuff flowing out of the Apple store. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it'd be crazy. I mean, you, I think, you know, in, in this society, I mean, you give somebody like that some, you know, some time, the development would be crazy. You'd be just like, I just Googled in my head. So my assumption that it's a, you know, dusty, dry land and that, you know, they're just kind of fumbling around, probably wrong. These people were probably pretty wise. 
I mean, you give them some perspective that would happen in 500 years, the development that would happen in this time period, they say that it's probably a pretty advanced society. Probably pretty amazing what was going on at the time. And in my thinking, my original thinking, was that God was pretty impressed with what was going on because he went down there to check it out. And that's what we're going to read. And I'll kind of tell you how my, my thought process transitioned into to, to, uh, not heresy and a wrong thought about God, but a correct thought about who he is. So in verse 4, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower with its top to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And that's pretty amazing that God's up in heaven and he says, Hey, they're doing something down there. Well, let's go check it out. Um, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is the only, only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there, confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name is what's called Babel, because the Lord had confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So my original thinking, I was thinking God was pretty impressed. I mean, he's, he's, he says, let's go down there and check out and see what they're doing. Let's see what they're doing. They're a technologically advanced society. They've built this, obviously they've done something impressive because they've built this amazing structure. I mean, they've put it all together on their iPad and they figured it all out and they've, you know, built something amazing. And then it dawned on me. God was not impressed with their tower. He wasn't at all impressed with their iPad. He's not impressed with the Apple Store, really. That's not what got God's attention. God wasn't up in heaven kind of chilling out on a cloud one day, and then all of a sudden he saw the t- top of the Tower of Babylon. He's like, oh my goodness, a tower! What are we going to do? Let's go down there and do something! No. You know, as I began to continue to read that passage, and the great thing about studying the Bible is you, you, you interpret Scripture with Scripture. And I began to think of Psalm 8. It got stretched out to heavens. The sun, the moon, and the stars he set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. I mean, we should be shocked that God loves us so much because he's the creator of the universe. Everything that we have. I mean, Acts says that, you know, not that he'd be served by human hands. He gives life, breath, and everything else. I mean, he wasn't impressed with the Tower of Babel. He spread out the heavens. Job says that he put Pleiades in place. I mean, we look up at the constellations and Job says, yeah, he, he put it all out there. That's him. He wasn't really impressed with your little tower. But there was something that did get his attention. There was something in, the, in this chunk that we're reading that got his attention. Let's go back to verse 4 and read that again. And then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name. For who? For ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Now God's listening. Huh. Oh, really? You're going to make a name for yourself. Is that what you want to do? And God knew in that moment. Because God created us. God created them. He knew that in the deepest part of our DNA, what we were created to do was to glorify Him and to lift up His name. We were singing that this morning. Be high and lifted up. Be high and lifted up. There's something about it that's right, that we feel in our heart and our soul, that we're supposed to elevate something other than ourselves. And God knows it. He knows it's good for us. And for them, that's what got God's attention. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. 
I'm not really impressed with your little tower. And oh, by the way, I think I'm going to go down there. I'm going to take Jesus and the Holy Spirit with me. I love that he says, Let's, let, let us go down there. Who was that? The Trinity. They rolled down there. And in an instant, God's like, oh, you, you built a tower. And you've done a couple of, and you want to make a name for yourself. Confuse your language. Disperse you over the face of the earth. And it was over. That was it. No more tower. That was it in an instant. And for you and for me, there's this idea of ascension. And I began to think, you know, what does it look like to ascend for you and me? You know, how does this relate to us? And the first thing I thought of was Donald Trump. Um, I don't know if y'all watch Celebrity Apprentice or Apprentice or anything on TV, but I watch TV. I should read my Bible more. You'll probably think I should read my Bible more after I'm done. Um, but I watch, I watch Celebrity Apprentice. And Donald Trump is, I mean, and I'm not knocking him, but it's, it's all about the Donald. I mean, seriously, he's running for president just to get his name more recognized, as if we don't know who he is. I mean, he's one of the most famous people on the planet. And the value that he brings to the table is his name. I mean, that's the thing that he brings to the table that's amazing. And, and he's like, you know, the card-carrying member of ascending in life. I mean, he's, he is making it, bro. But I, I started to think about that, that example and even using it. And I, I say that just to say, you know, do we really relate to Donald Trump? I mean, I don't. I mean, I can tell you, I, you can go check my bank statement. I really don't relate to Donald. Um, church planting's awesome and it's fun, but it doesn't pad your wallet. Um, so anyway... Yeah, I, I was just like, you know, how does that relate to you and to me? You know, when you come in here and everybody, you know, y'all are dealing with totally different things. I mean, some of you may be Trump-like. I don't know. I'd like to know you. I'd like you to come to my church. Um, <laughs> be awesome. Um, but we're dealing with all different things. I mean, being, you know, fame and fortune, being up, and just even being an upfront person. I mean, that may not be you. That may be you. Some of you may have a call to be famous. Some of you look like you could be famous. Some of you don't, but no, I'm kidding. You're beautiful. Uh, but what I'm saying is, is that, that, you know, we may not relate to that in terms of ascension, but ascension is really a condition of the heart. God was not upset in the the condition of the tower of Babel about the tower. We're builders. We're going to build things, but it's, it's a condition of the heart. They wanted to make a name for themselves with their tower. It wasn't, it had nothing to do with God. And so for you and me, now that, that begins to be relative material because anything that we believe, that we, know, that we need, that we want, that we're grasping for, that we're grappling for, that we believe will rescue us, that will save us. Other than Jesus, that's ascending. And I don't know what that is for you. It may be a job that you want. It may be a position that you want. It may be a relationship that you're dying to get. You're like, if I could just be in that relationship with that particular person, that would be amazing. And that's the thing that consumes you. That's ascending. That's ascending. I mean, we, we are bound by relationships. I mean, that's one of those things that we, are, we, are, we love to have in this society. It's so important for relational people. Not a bad thing. Again, being in relationships or wanting to be in relationships. But if we believe that that's the thing that's going to save us and rescue us, that's when we begin to ascend, just like they did in the Tower of Babel. We can do it in ministry. Ascension happens in ministry. Man, it's, it can get ugly in ministry. The de- it's a deep, dark secret. Antley knows this is true. There's... there's times, and I'm not going to indict myself here, because, but, but that you can look at somebody else's ministry and they're moving the kingdom forward. And maybe not consciously, but subconsciously you're thinking, I hope they fail. Whew. Crickets. It's true. Because you want that position and you want to be better than they are. And ministry 
There's times when you don't get recognized in ministry, when it frustrates you to no end. And you've done tons of things. You've said things. Somebody might even, you know, use something that you've used before or you told them something in private and they use it in public and they take credit for it. And we get frustrated. But there's something at the root of that. There's something in the heart of that. My, my father-in-law was, um, was in prison ministry for a, for a long time. And it's 16 years. And this is just an example of, of how that happens. He was, he, he Hundreds of people got saved as a result of him being in prison ministry. Did Bible studies there. Tons of people got baptized at the prison. And in about the 11th year, they, they started doing this award, like a, not award show. It wasn't really like the Oscars or the, 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 uh, the Golden Globes of prison ministry. Um, but it was like an awards banquet that they did for the volunteers in the prison. And, you know, for a few years, he got the award. You know, uh, you know one of the awards as a volunteer. Because he had been there for 16 years. He'd been there longer than the warden, gone through tons of chaplains. Just been there a long time. So the 16th year, they're getting ready to transition. It's going to be the end, basically the end of his ministry. They're going to transition the prison. It's a Florida prison to a women's prison. So he goes there, and, and he said, you usually got a call, and they would tell you, hey, you probably want to be at the awards deal. They wouldn't tell you that you're getting an award, but you're like, yeah, I know why I'm going to be there because I'm getting the, you know, I'm going to get the special award. And he got the call, and they said, hey, you know, you should come to the awards deal tonight. Make sure you're there. So he goes there, and they're beginning to present. And it's, it's the biggest awards thing ever because this is the end. This is like the prison ministry is over, and, you know, they're not going to do it anymore. The volunteers, it's just going to be different um, because they were transitioning the prison to new leadership and whatnot. So he's there, and they begin to talk about um, a person. You know, they, they name his church, and they say, this person from so-and-such a church has been here longer than anybody. And he had. He had been there longer than anybody. Has been there longer than anybody. Has been done it longer than anybody. Has been um, in, in this ministry longer than anybody doing it. Um, has just had a massive impact. And I mean, he's like, you know, bad Oscar moment where he's just like kind of get. He's, he's ready. He's, out, he's almost out of his chair to go up and get his award. And they call somebody else's name. I called somebody else's name. And all the things that they said, he, I mean, it wasn't even true for the other guy. That's what was bad about it. I mean, it really, the guy hadn't been in ministry that long. It was a friend of his that had been doing ministry with him for a few years, but not 16. And he got the award, and they gave him all this praise, and he went through the entire award ceremony. They didn't even mention his name. I mean, they're getting ready to shut down, the, I mean, the prison and restart it as a women's prison. Last awards thing, he's expecting, you know, they're going to pat me on the back. You know, this is going to be amazing. Big cheers. Not a word. And then he goes to the prison on that Monday to kind of, he's, he's got a few more weeks to continue. And he's got this special chip that he's had for 16 years or for some of the time that he's been there that gets him access to any part of the prison, to maximum security, to everything. And he would just flip his chip in this little thing and they would say, okay, here's the keys to the kingdom and you can do whatever you want. And he goes in there, you know, like he usually does and pops his little chip in there and they take his chip immediately and they're like, well, you know, they acted like they didn't know who he was. Things had already kind of changed. They made him get fingerprinted and they said, oh, by the way, you can't keep this chip anymore that you've had all that time. I don't know where you got it, but you're not supposed to have it. And oh, by the way, we're going to have to escort you back to the, to the deal back there, to the chapel. I mean, humiliated. Been there for 16 years. Been there longer than the warden. But they didn't even know his name. They didn't even know his name. So it can happen even in ministry where you're ascending and 
It's not necessarily a bad thing to ascend, but you've got to know and recognize that it's temporary. For Antley, for me, or anybody that's in an upfront position, you know what, we might be in these positions for a while getting to speak to people, but I can tell you one thing, it is a stewardship, it is temporary. I better be raising up leaders because I'm going to get older and I'm not going to be up here forever. It is temporary and eventually you come down. But descending is forever. Descending is forever. And just to represent this idea that God is all about him and his name and his fame. I'm going to read a couple verses. This is crazy. This is kind of where I recognized that I had blown it in terms of the way I was interpreting that scripture at the Tower of Babel. So we look at Isaiah, and I'll, I'll, I'll rip through these because they're, they're, they all kind of have this, this same theme. But as Isaiah 42, 8 says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my praise to idols or my glory to another. We are never meant to ascend. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that I may be compared? We're supposed to lift him up. Remember the former things of long ago, that I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. In 48.9 it says this, For my own namesake, it's God, for my own namesake I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise I hold it back from you, so as not to destroy you completely. And I love this one in Isaiah 43.25, because it points to the cross. It says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. For what? Comma. For my own namesake. It's the purpose in the cross. And I'm not saying that God doesn't love us and the cross doesn't rescue us and God is not absolutely pursuing us relentlessly. But there is a purpose under heaven that is clear and it's for his namesake. It's for his glory. We look at this idea of ascension and how we tend to do it and how it doesn't just apply to Donald Trump, but it applies to us. What does it look like to descend? What does it look like to descend? And we look at the passage in Philippians 2. It's a perfect, perfect picture of what descension looks, looks like. So let's go there and start in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So Paul's showing us, or telling the Philippians, this is what it looks like to descend. Let each of you not look at his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I love that it doesn't end there. We could stop there, but it doesn't end there, because he puts a comma, and he says, okay, let me tell you about Jesus the ultimate example of humility. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He made himself nothing. He was the king of the universe, and he made himself nothing. That's dissension. That's coming down. He lived in obscurity. Nobody knew his name. Nobody knew who he was until he started his public ministry. And then people persecuted him and humiliated him on a cross, killed him and put him as low as you can go into the ground. And that's our example of dissension. Now contrast that, check this out, with Isaiah 14. This is your enemy. Jesus is your friend. This is your enemy and this is what your enemy wants to do. This is Satan speaking in Isaiah 14. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. 
above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You're never more like your enemy than when you're ascending. You're never more like Jesus than when you're descending. You get that? That's good stuff. You're never more like your enemy than when you're ascending. You're never more like Jesus than when you're descending. That's not mine. What's great about that little, that little nugget there is it's a guy, I don't even know his name. How appropriate is that? I can't, I, I tried, I asked Beth, I was like, where did I get this from? I remember this guy preached this deal and I, I don't even remember where it came from. But it's not what it's about, is it? He's not going to ascend this morning, is he? What does it look like for you and I to descend? You know, like I said when we started out, there's something about experiencing God that automatically does something in our heart. I'm not giving you, I don't want to give you the ABCs to descension and like, how do I descend in life? What does it look like to descend? Because it's something that automatically happens. But the beauty in, in, in descending and recognizing who God is and experience, like that guy, that lady in that ocean that realized in that moment that I need to fall to my knees. There's a recognition of who God is. And the beautiful thing in that is that there's something coming that eventually God lifts us up. If ascension is temporary and eventually we come down and dissension lasts forever and we eventually get lifted up, what does that look like? Well, if we continue in Philippians, it says this. I'm almost done. It says, therefore, in verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him. So you've got this story of dissension of Jesus. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at that name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of Father forever. Exaltation. Lift up. And check this out. It's no different for me or you. This is pretty crazy. Because I, I really normally wouldn't think, think this way. But it, it happens over and over and over again in, in scripture. That humility precedes honor. And we do receive honor. And you'll see that in 1 Peter 5, 6. In verse 1 it says, So I exhort the elders among you. It's a passage to the elders, but it's a passage to the whole church as well. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Again, another picture of descending and being humble. And when the chief shepherd appears, which is not me or Antley, it's Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Being lifted up. Exaltation. Could you imagine receiving, I don't know what that's going to be like, receiving an unfading crown of glory from the great shepherd, Jesus, but that's got to be pretty crazy. An unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with the humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, I love this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. I love that in the same verse. Descend, and guess what's going to happen? Exaltation. It's crazy. It's crazy. Ascension in our heart. 
obviously, like I said, you know, we are going to end up in places where we're up in front of people and we're doing things and, and you know, it's, but it's a condition of the heart. Are we ascending in our heart? And do we recognize that ascending is temporary and that we eventually come down? Because I think if you do, then it doesn't hurt our feelings and we don't get crushed like my father-in-law did, you know, for 16 years of service, expecting to, to hear his name recognized. And he doesn't mind me saying that. He knows I'm going to talk about it. He laughs about it now. He's like, man, God is funny. But in our heart, when we begin to recognize that, and it is a, it, dissension brings freedom. It brings freedom. It is where we are meant to be. Check this out. This is crazy. The, there's the, the, the evangelism is exploding in China. And there's like this one guy that's kind of spearheading it. I mean, he's like the, the dude among dudes in China, like running the show. And I mean, like millions of people are coming to know Jesus. Nobody knows his name. Nobody knows his name. Nobody knows who he is. They can't find it. I mean, there's people that know who he is, but nobody knows who he is because it's, it has to be that way. There's no other way for it to be. And guess where he has to go? Get away from everybody. Underground. It's crazy. It's the upside down kingdom because the world wants to tell you we're supposed to ascend and Jesus is telling us that we're supposed to descend. As I close, I want to tell you a story because I worry when, when we talk about things like ascension and descension that people are trying to connect to it. Like, where am I in the descending? Where am I in the ascending? I came in here, like the Antley said, there's people that come in here that are, that are broken. We come here sometimes numb because our life is just absolutely run us over. Just trying, just treading water or not even above water, trying to get a breath of air. And what does dissension look like for me? What does it even look like? And what, you know, how does this even relate to me? I'm definitely not trying to be Donald Trump and I'm definitely not trying to ascend. And you know, relationships are the last thing I'm thinking about. I'm trying to pay my bills. So what does it mean for me? I'm going to just tell this story and I'll close. Um, Beth went to a retreat recently and a woman spoke. Uh, and she told this story about her son-in-law having cancer and how he died of cancer, and just the brutal journey of walking with her daughter through that, and walking with her son-in-law through that, and how painful it was, and how lost and desperate she felt, how alone, and how eventually he passed away, and she felt like an empty shell, no hope. And one particular night, she just felt awful, basically, you know, crying herself to sleep. And in the night, and check this out. This is a, somebody that doesn't go to River City, doesn't necessarily believe uh, in, you know, the, the Holy Spirit stuff like we do in terms of, you know, we believe that God speaks to us today in a powerful way through dreams. And this isn't, this isn't one of those people. She has a dream. Check this out. And she's drowning. Can't get air. Can't get her, her lips above the surface to, to get any air. Cannot breathe at all. And while she's drowning... Jesus comes to her in the water. This is her dream. Lays his hand on her shoulder and said, hey, the air is down there. That was her dream. That was her dream. And Jesus was saying, let go. Surrender. Whatever you think is up there, 
that you're trying to get at, whatever you think will save you that's up there that you desperately need, that you think will rescue you, that you think will pay your bills, that you think will repair your wrecked home, that you think will repair what you need, that will give you control back, that will give you power back, whatever you think that is, it won't. It ultimately won't lift you up. It's going to bring you down. The air is down there. For you and for me this morning, there's nothing better than a posture of releasing that to God and saying, I am here and I surrender because I know there's nothing that I have. I have nothing left but you. Letting go of everything and recognizing where oxygen is, where he is in his presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you and praise you for who you are. I thank you for the clear pictures you give us in scripture of where we're supposed to be and what brings us the greatest joy to be in your presence and to be descending, to be getting on our face, recognizing how far you've come and letting our hearts just get filled up with joy, knowing that only you can save us and rescue us and give us fulfillment. In Jesus' name, amen.